All right, Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read the whole chapter, and we're not going to look deeply at the whole chapter, but uh, we do not want to miss the resurrection passage here. And uh, one of my favorite things about this, this, this passage, uh, we've we got to talk about it. And so we're going to read all of chapter 28. So if you'd like to stand, we're going to, I'm going to read the Word of God, and then we'll pray, and we will get started, okay? Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then quickly go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going to go before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them. And he said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And so they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we thank you this morning for the great truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, we praise you that you are life, that that life is in you, that you live forevermore. We praise you, Father, for the gospel that enables us to be joined to Jesus' resurrected life. Father, we praise you for no more death, for no more dying, for no more tears, for new heavens and a new earth. We praise you, Father, for new bodies, for, for a resurrection, Father, that we look forward to. God, we praise you and we ask you today, God, to move in our hearts. Father, we we need to respond to this with obedience. We need to respond to this with belief today. So God, please help us. God, we, we can't change our own hearts, but God, you can. And I pray that you would this morning. I pray that you'd transform us. God, make us believing. God, make us obedient. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you were with us on Friday at uh, the Fifth Street campus, Pastor Daniel did a great job leading us through Matthew chapter 27. Now, Matthew 27 is the death, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so, as we finish Matthew 27, Jesus is dead. He is uh, in the tomb, and the tomb is sealed by a large stone. And there is a Roman guard, a a group of soldiers that are guarding the tomb. Now, if you were with us Friday, you, you know that Jesus' death was anything but ordinary, all right? If the Romans had just wanted to kill Jesus, they would have just taken a spear and jabbed it through his abdomen up into his heart. Now, 
Actually, they did do that, but they did not do that to kill him. They did that to confirm with all absolute certainty that he was dead, right? But the way that they killed him was different. Jesus' murder was designed to inflict maximum suffering, all that the human body could withstand in order to prolong the agony of his death as long as possible. That was the purpose of crucifixion. The Romans and the Jewish Sanhedrin uh, beat Jesus multiple times. They scourged him, which is a whip of, of many, many leather strands with pieces of bone and metal and uh, glass, whatever they could find, embedded in the, in the leather, basically to rip the flesh off of your back and your sides and your legs. They put a crown of thorns upon his skull. And then after massive blood loss and incredible physical trauma, Jesus himself is forced to carry his own cross to the hill Golgotha where he is nailed to it. Nailed through his wrists, his hands, and through his, his feet, his ankles. And then for six hours he hung on the cross until he suffocated. Basically the way that someone would die on the cross was, was you only could for so long push yourself up in agonizing pain on the nerves with the nails stuck through your feet and onto your hands. You only do that for so long before you, you just dropped and could not lift yourself and you would eventually suffocate to death. So Matthew 27 closes on Friday with Jesus dead and in the tomb. Now, Matthew 28 opens on Sunday morning. Very early Sunday morning, before the sun had arisen, Mary and Mary were going to the tomb. Now, the first thing that, that I, I just want to say, and I, I just want to say this just in case there are any skeptics in the room who believe that maybe Jesus isn't really raised from the dead, but rather his disciples made up the story. You know, if, if that is your view, then I think you would have to also agree that the disciples are the worst story maker-uppers in the history of the world, okay? So, so in other words, if you were going to make up a story to confirm the validity of Jesus' resurrection, if you're going to make up a story that would be credible to the Jewish and to the Roman authorities that Jesus indeed had risen from the dead, you would not make up this story, okay? First of all, you wouldn't, you wouldn't make up that Mary and Mary were the first to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First of all, Mary and Mary are women. You probably picked that up, right? And, and in this day and age, in the first century, these ladies couldn't testify in court. They're, they're testimony would not be valid in in a roman court or in a jewish court and not only that but mary magdalene was a scandalous woman with a scandalous past she'd been changed and transformed by the grace of god but her past was one in which nobody would take her seriously okay and so it's absolutely not something you would make up unless you're just terrible at making up things all right but it is absolutely something that god would do all right. When God chose to introduce the birth of his son, do you remember who he picked? He picked the lowest guys on the totem pole, right? He picked the shepherds to announce the birth of Jesus that they might be the first to see the incarnate son of God. And when God announces the resurrection of his son, it is a scandalous woman and an old woman who are the first to witness the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 2 is one of my favorite things, okay? So just bear with me here. I've been talking about this all week long, just trying to get people excited. Actually, I've been trying to practice the way I say it because, because no, nobody seems to think it's as cool as I do, okay? And so I, I, either that means I'm not cool or everybody else is not. But I believe you guys are going to be the cool ones, all right? So I, I hope that you will think this is as neat as I think it is, okay? So look at verse 2. It says, Behold, there was a great earthquake, 
For, okay, those are connected. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he came and he rolled back the stone. And I just don't know why I think it's so cool, but I just do. And then he sat on it. He sits on the stone, all right? He sits on it. Now, 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 why do I think that's so cool that he sits on the stone? Well, first of all, I think what's happening here is, is an incredibly neat case of overkill, okay? All right, so who do you have here? You've got an angel of the Lord. Now, if you've read your Bible, you probably know some things about the angel of the Lord, right? So one of the things I thought about last night was in 2 Kings, I think it's 9, maybe 9 or 13, where the angel of the Lord comes into the Assyrian camp and slaughters 185,000 soldiers in a night, okay, without anybody knowing it, all right? So what I'm saying is this is a fierce being. This being could slaughter all the legions of the Roman army in a moment if he wanted to, all right? His face is like lightning. That's what it says. His appearance is as lightning, and his clothing is as white as snow, all right? And so what is his job? His job is to open up the door. That, that's all. Like, when, when you read this, don't, don't, don't misunderstand what's happening here. His job is not to go fight the guards and get Jesus out of the tomb and drag him out. That's not his job. Jesus is already gone, all right? And he doesn't need anybody to open the door for him ever, ever again, all right? He just raises from the dead, and out he goes, all right? This guy's job was to come down, roll the stone away so that Mary and Mary could see inside. That's all. He's just unlocking the door, right? And it's just really cool to me that when God needs someone to unlock the door, he sends an angel of the Lord, right? This guy comes in at Mach 3, Mach 4, you know, puts on the brakes, lands on the ground, and there's an earthquake, all right? It says there, in his appearance, there's an earthquake when he comes, right? And then he's so incredibly fierce that all the guards drop. They, they pass out in fear, right? And then he, he just sits on the rock and waits for Mary and Mary to show up at the tomb and then says, hey, guys, you can go on in. He's not there, but go look where he was. But, hey, he told you to go tell his disciples to go to Galilee. I don't, I don't know. I can tell you don't think it's as cool as I do. I just, I love that, right? It's just, it's like, it's like Michael Jordan coming in early to air up the basketballs, you know? I mean, it's just like this incredible case of overkill, you know? And it's just, anyway, all right, so, so he's not there. He's risen, right? So, so they, the angel tells him, go tell, go tell the brothers, meet Jesus in Galilee. So there they go in verse 8 and verse uh, 9 and 10. Jesus appears to Mary and Mary after they've left. He appears in his first words of greetings. If you look that up in the Greek, it's a word for joy. It's like saying happy day. It's like saying joyful day, good day. It's something we might say in our culture. In other words, hey, happy day, ladies. You know, there's Jesus. They drop down, grab his feet. They're worshiping him. They're crying. They're happy. They're overjoyed. Then Jesus says, all right, enough of that. Now go tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. Again, he told them, go meet me on the mountain in Galilee. They go and tell the brothers. Everybody has the Galilee. They get the Galilee. Jesus shows up. They all get a scene. And then in verse uh, 18, notice what he says. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right, now when you look up that word authority, basically it means Jesus has the power and he has the right 
to do whatever he wants, all right? That's what that means. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, all right? He says given to me because God has given him that authority. That is his. Now, if you want to picture this in the Bible, there's actually lots of them. So we get to see actually when it happens in the heavens, all right? So if, if you go to like uh, Revelation 5, a whole bunch of chapters of Revelation 5, you see God the Father giving the authority of the universe to Jesus the Son. But let me tell you the coolest, coolest picture in the Bible, do, Daniel 7, all right? Now, the reason I really like this one is because it happened over 500 years prior to Jesus' birth, all right? God gives Daniel a vision of Jesus receiving the kingdom, all right? So in Daniel 7, he writes this down. He says, you know, he saw the Ancient of Days. That's another name for God I really like. Ancient of Days, taking his seat on the throne in heaven, all right? And then he sees this vision. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Daniel doesn't know exactly who it is. He doesn't know his name is Jesus. He's seeing this in the future, right? There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed that is the picture of God the father giving the kingdom to the son Jesus Christ and so when Jesus shows up as the resurrected son of God he's not kidding when he says all authority has been given to me. In other words, God has given me the right and the power to do whatever I want, not just in Galilee or Israel or the Middle East or even planet Earth, but in all the universe, in heaven and on earth. Folks, this means Jesus is unstoppable, all right? That's essentially what this means. No one can thwart his will. No tyrant can get in his way. No ruthless dictator can stop his purposes. No billionaire businessman can escape his rule or his wrath. No military might can stop his advance. Jesus reigns over the universe, all right? Now, whenever someone starts talking that way, we're a little skeptical, right? Except when it's the guy that just rose from the dead, right? When it's the guy that just rose from the dead, when it's the one who, who everybody saw be ripped apart on the cross and crucified and in the tomb for three days, when that guy rises from the dead, and he's not like, well, we moved him from the tomb to the hospital, we've got a ventilator on him, you know, he's on life support. Not that, not that kind of alive, like kind of alive where he just appears wherever he wants, to Mary and Mary on the road, to Jesus and the disciples when, when, when they're fishing, you know, and he cooks them breakfast on the shore, to the guys walking on the Emmaus Road, 1 Corinthians 15 says to over 500 at one time when, when he appears on the mountain in Galilee, when he ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1, it's that kind of alive. And my basic premise in life is when someone rises from the dead, you ought to listen to him, all right? You ought, to, you ought to listen to what they say. And so when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, we should listen to him, all right? So what is Jesus saying here to his disciples? He gathers them in Galilee, and he's basically saying, all the power is mine, all the authority is mine, and I can do whatever I want. Now, next question. What does he want? That's a great question, isn't it? Like, like he says, I have all the power. I've been given power and authority. I can do whatever I want. And so what does he want? What does he want? Verse 19. Okay, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So verse 19, here's what he wants. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, so he's given, he has the right and power to do whatever he wants. And what does he want? He wants disciples. He wants you to go make disciples. That's what he just said. Now, what's a disciple? Well, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. It's someone who follows, right? Someone who listens, learns, follows, imitates. That's what a disciple is. In case you need a little more of a definition, let's just work through the passage, all right? He says, go therefore make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what's a disciple? It's somebody who believes, right? It's someone who believes. It's someone who believes that Jesus is everything that he says he is and that he's going to do everything he says he's going to do. And whenever someone believes in Jesus in that way, they're united to Jesus by faith. And, and what Jesus told us to do is he says, I want you to baptize people. I want people to be baptized as a symbol of what's happened on the inside, right? Baptism is an outward symbol that we can all see that, 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 that is symbolic of what has already happened on the inside. So, so whenever someone's been joined to Jesus by faith, what they're saying in baptism is, hey, guys, I'm connected to Jesus by faith. And so the old me is dead and buried. The new me is raised up. I'm going to walk in newness of life. I'm going to live a new life. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, right? So Jesus says, go make disciples, baptizing them. In other words, people are going to believe, and then they need to publicly evidence their belief in, in, in their union to me in my death, burial, and resurrection. And then he says, and then I want you to teach them to obey all that. I have commanded. All right? So so here's, here's hey, this is why we're here. Hey, that's kind of cool, isn't it? Right? This is why we're here. You know why we're here? Because together, we join together, and we, we want to we know what Jesus said, and we want to obey everything he said. And that's why we go to small groups. You know what small groups are about? They're about getting together and saying, okay, we heard that this morning. Now, how do we live that out? How do we obey that? Guys, I got this problem with my kids. How do I obey that? Would you guys pray for me? Let's be in this together. Let's build Christ in relationships. That's why from those small groups, we break out into smaller groups yet, and we meet at McDonald's on Monday morning or, or Taco Mayo on, on Wednesday or, or here or there, Oilfield or uh, Pollyanna, Pollyanna. I think some guys meet at Pollyanna. I know there's some that meet at Carlitos. I know there's some that meet in houses. You know, we break we break out apart in these two or threes and we just read through the Bible. Why do we read through the Bible? We read through the Bible together and we're like, all right, guys, we're going to obey what this says. So what did you see? Well, we, we're not preaching to each other. We're just, hey, what'd you see here? Well, okay, that's what I saw. I need to obey that. Hey, we're, we're, we're learners. We're disciples. We're, we're learning to obey all that Jesus commanded. And then Jesus says, I want you to do that to the ends of the earth. I want you to do that in all nations. The word nation there is the word ethne. And it actually doesn't mean like a country. It means more than that. It means a body of people united by kinship, culture, and common traditions. In other words, there's pockets of people all over. You may have a nation, but it may have all kinds of pockets of people. In other words, our nation... It's made up of all kinds of people, isn't it, right? You got the United States, but you've also got the American Indian. You know, you've got Indian reservations. You've also got, you know, pockets of people from all over the world. And Jesus is saying, in every one of those pockets of people, I'm going to have disciples. I'm going to have worshipers. It's going to happen. You know how I know it's going to happen? Well, when we open our Bible up to the book of Revelation and we read about the end, it happened, all right? So the Bible says, this is what's going to happen in the end. I get to be a part of this. Uh, you do too, if you're a believer. We get to be a part of this big worship service in Revelation 5 where it says in verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, it's talking about Jesus, by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, and you've made them a kingdom and a priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. You see, that's going to happen. Why is it going to happen? Because Jesus wants it, right? 
That's why it's going to happen. Because he said, all authority has been given to me. All power, all rule, all reign has been given to me. What does he want to do? This is what he wants to do. All right? Now, next question. Very important. What if you don't have any interest in that? Man, that's a kicker question today, isn't it? What if you don't have any interest in that? So, so let's put this in perspective. Okay, so the perfect man lives the perfect life, dies a horrific death in your place to pay for your sins. And then he rises from the dead, victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And then he proclaims that by faith you can be joined to him and he will bring you abundant life now and eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth in fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore for all eternity. And then that man says, and this is what I want you to do. Join me in this mission. Now, why would you not want to do, why would you not have any interest in that? A couple reasons. I'm going to give you three, okay? Um, not, not all these three will apply to everybody, uh, but maybe I think we'll, everybody will be able to identify with at least one of them, okay? Number one, maybe it's because you think you could give your life to something better. Like, like so, so you hear what Jesus says, he said, go make disciples, be a disciple, be a learner, be a teacher, be a witness, you know, join me in this kingdom effort. And maybe you're thinking, well, that, that's all fine and dandy for somebody, but I'm just not interested in that. I, I got other things I'm interested in. Well, I, I would just ask you this. I would ask you, does the thing that you're interested in, does it, does it have a promise of a payoff like this has a promise of a payoff? Okay, so 1 Corinthians 15. If, if, you're, if you're like, man, I want more of this resurrection stuff. All right, 1 Corinthians 15 would be a great chapter for you to read this afternoon with your family. It is all about the resurrection. It's all about when the resurrection, why the resurrection, how the resurrection. It's just all kinds of resurrection questions. 1 Corinthians 15, at the end of that, so after, after Paul has explained all about the resurrection, he gives this sentence. He says, therefore... Okay, so, so death is defeated. We're going to be raised. As believers, we're going to live in it. And he says, therefore, and then he says this, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. That is so encouraging to me. That your labor is never in vain. What, what, what Paul is saying is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, every work, every effort, every service, every toil for the Lord, for his mission, will never be in vain. It will matter forever and ever. It will produce value and benefit and gain for all eternity. All right, so, so the first thing I would say is that if you're grappling with, do I, really, do I really want to spend time and effort on Jesus' mission? I'm not that interested in it. I, I would say, well, man, it's the only thing in, in this universe that promises you that everything you do toward that, it, it will not be in vain. All right, number two, maybe on some level, you just struggle to believe. Maybe you just struggle to believe. I was talking with a person in our community this week, and um, we, we were talking, and, and I turned this, the conversation spiritually, and uh, they came back, and they said, well, what about this, you know, and they mentioned the sin, and they didn't really think it was a sin, and, you know, what do I think about that, and, you know, what I think about that doesn't matter. But I told them what Jesus said about it, you know? And, and then I just said this, what I told you just a minute ago. I always believe the guy that rose from the dead, you know? I mean, you got opinions, I got opinions, you know? Fox News has opinions, CNN has opinions, right? Everybody's got opinions. All the marchers in Washington, they got opinions. All the, you know, everybody, all the guys at the coffee shop, they got opinions, okay? Here, here's, here's where I cut through all that. I want to I listen to the guy that rose from the dead, right? I want to believe him. 
The resurrection makes me say, all right, this guy rose from the dead. This guy's been given all authority and power. He can do whatever he wants in all the universe. He rules and he reigns. And so I want to believe him. Now, if what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 is true, that everything you do for the Lord toward his mission will never be in vain, you know what the opposite of that is? We just back up and we can read it. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse um, 32, he says, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts in Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Okay, so if the dead are not raised, then nothing matters. That's, that's the great kind of switch in 1 Corinthians 15. If there is a resurrection, and there is, then everything that we do toward the Lord, every Bible study we tell our children, every prayer time with our neighbor, every, every, every act of righteousness, every deed of kindness, all, all of that eternally will matter. In a billion years, you will look at it and say, that matters still, right? Like it's never in vain. That's what he says. But if there is no resurrection, if there's no resurrection, I'm having ice cream for lunch. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I may, need, I may just have ice cream the rest of my life if there's no resurrection, all right? Because what Paul says is true. If there's no resurrection, let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. In other words, if there's no resurrection, then nothing really matters. If we're just some accidental, you know, happening in the cosmos that we're here for a blimp in this one short life and then we're gone and we're, when we're gone, we're gone and nothing matters and we'll never be connected to family and there is no there is no friendship or, or, or eternity, there's no new heavens, there's no new earth. If, if, there, if there is no resurrection, then nothing matters. Nothing at all. Man, you ought, to just, you ought to just scramble for every little bit of pleasure that you can. Now, you know what's... If you look at people's life, I think that I think you can see if they functionally don't believe in the resurrection. In other words, there's a whole bunch of people that live just that way. There's a whole bunch of people that are just they're just clawing for every little bit of pleasure, every every little small bit of worldly happiness that they can get. You know why? Because functionally they don't believe in a resurrection. Or so, so maybe, maybe it's that you feel there's something better to give your life to. Maybe it's you just struggle to believe. Or maybe, and I think this is where a lot of us are. Maybe if, if you're not buying into Jesus, what he wants here, if you're not buying into that, maybe it's because it just seems too big. Huh? Maybe it's just because it seems too big. So Jesus rises from the dead, and then he says, all right, guys, it's all mine. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I have the power and the right to do whatever I want. And this is what I want. I want disciples to be made in every tongue, tribe, and nation in all the world. And, and maybe you hear that and you're like, oh, how, how do we do that? That's too big. I mean, that, that's a big mission and I'm small and, and, and there's gonna be opposition and I'm weak and, and there's gonna have to be people with answers and I don't have any, Right? I mean, I think that's real. I think, I think a lot of us feel, man, when we start thinking about, well, can I, can I go share with my neighbor? 
You know, can, can I start a discipleship group? Can I, can I ask some folks at work, hey, hey, let's, let's meet together. Let's, let's, read, let's read through the gospel of Mark. You ever heard of Mark? It's in the Bible. And hey, I'm not going to preach at you, but we're just going to read it, and then we're going to see what it says, and we're going to try to obey it. Hey, would you like to do that with me? And some people are like, man, that just seems too overwhelmingly big. Okay, now, if you're in that category, I got good news for you. You ready? Look at the end of verse 20. So he says, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And did you see the next part? Lo, I am with you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right? That's for you. If you're here this morning and you're like, man, it just overwhelms me and I, 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 I feel inadequate. Sweet. Great. That's awesome. But look at what he said. The resurrected Jesus, the one who, who appeared in heaven before the ancient of days and received the kingdom and dominion and power and glory forever and ever. He says, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to do it through you. And don't worry, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Isn't that cool? All right, now, let's unpack what that means. I'm with you always to the end of the age means a couple things. Number one, it means that his power is present to accomplish the mission, all right? I know that, that the mission seems overwhelming. I know that thinking about you know, meeting with some people and reading the Bible or teaching your children about the things of faith or learning yourself, you know? Maybe going to a small group just seems overwhelming. Maybe you're a really shy person. And you're thinking, man, I don't want to show up there. Those people are weird and they have weird food and they might ask me to do something, right? And I'm just, you know, hey, lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age, right? Or maybe maybe your deal is, is, is sharing your faith or maybe your deal is starting a, a, a group, you know? And maybe all that just seems overwhelming to you hey jesus says lo i'm with you to the end of the age and and notice throughout the bible this is what drove people to be obedient right so paul he prays in philippians 3 10 he says man i my, my, my goal is that i might know jesus and the power of his resurrection paul says i want to know that power in ephesians 1 he prays for the church in ephesians 1 19 he says and i and i want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in christ when he raised him from the dead i mean that this is the way this is the way these guys function in the new testament they were like i want to know the power of jesus and when i begin to believe that he is with us always when we begin to believe that you know what we start doing we start taking risk we start stepping out and obeying we start hearing jesus say, all right jesus you said do this Jesus, you said, love my wife as Christ loved the church, and I've never functioned that way. My wife and, always, my wife and I have always functioned toward this, this you know, barter system where, you know, okay, if you're nice to me, then I'm nice to you. And if you got 20 points on the scoreboard and I only got 15, then I'll give you five more. But if I got 30, I ain't giving you nothing until you get to 30. Maybe that's the way you've always functioned. And then you open your Bible and it says, hey, love your wife as Christ loved the church unconditionally, sacrificially. Like, okay, Jesus, I believe you. All right, all right. Lo, you're with me always. God, this lady's a hard lady. God, this guy's a hard guy. I didn't know it when I married him. I thought they were Prince Charming, and then I married him, and wow, no, not Prince Charming. Lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age, right? Maybe you got kids, and, and they're rebelling, and you don't know what to do, and you don't know the decision. Lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. See, it, it's the power of the resurrected Christ is in us for mission, and if you believe that, you'll begin to ask, you'll begin to risk, you'll begin to obey, you'll begin to step out. Number two, I'm with you always, promises the nearness and fellowship of the resurrected Jesus. Man, how cool is it 
that here Jesus says, man, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be close to you. I'm going to fellowship with you. I'm going to speak to you. Now, make things clear. I absolutely, and you know that I do if you've been here very long, I absolutely believe in the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in every believer, okay? So in other words, I'm 18 years old. I've been in church since I was about 8 to 10. Never believed, never trusted, heard the sermons, went out, had my own agenda, my own way. 18 years of age, man, God broke me. I I turned to him. I trusted him. I believe at that moment the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me, and he will never leave. I believe that. Romans 8 teaches that. Other places in the Bible, Galatians teaches that. All right, so you know I believe in in the indwelling Holy Spirit in every believer. But here's what I'm telling you. I I think what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you're going to sense my power and my presence when? When you're on mission with me. Do do you see the connection there? All authority has been given to me. That's what he says. So go make disciples. That's what I want you to do. And then he says, and I'm with you always. I'm with you always when? When when you go make disciples, right? When, when When you're about my business, when you're about my work. In other words, I don't think this verse implies that Jesus just follows us around to watch what we're doing, you know? You get saved, and he's like another grandparent at your soccer game. He's just like following you around, you know? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you always, you know? Oh, look at what you're doing there. Isn't that cool? You know, I, I, I don't, that's not the implication. The implication is not, like, he, he gives us power and presence for just whatever you want to do, you know? Like, okay, you know, I'm a Christian now, so, man, I'm, I'm going to rule on call of duty, you know? Man, my, my thumbs are going to fly. God's going to give me power, you know? Power to, to whatever you do on call of duty. I don't know. All the guys play, right? Or, or maybe Candy Crush, you know? You know, all right, man, I'm a Christian now, so God's going to be able to get me to level 149 on Candy Crush, you know? You ever wonder why there's hot dogs in Candy Crush? Huh? Have you ever looked at that screen? I was watching my daughter play it the other day. I think there's a little hot dog, not with a bun, but aren't that, isn't that what they are? I don't know. Anyway, I can't tell what any of that stuff is, but I probably don't see well enough. Um, but is that what God's power is for? Is that what his pre- see, a lot of Christians kind of think that, and then they don't experience the presence of God. They don't experience the power of God. They don't experience the closeness of Jesus. You know why? You're not with him on the mission. You're not saying, all right, Jesus, you're raised from the dead, and you said you can do whatever you want, and this is what you want, and you want me to be in on it, so I'm in. See, you don't experience closeness unless you're in. You know, if if one of you says to me, hey, I'd 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 love for us to spend some time together. I'm going to Mazio's. Meet me there. And I'm like, all right. And then I go to Taco Mayo. Well... We didn't experience one another, did we? You know? But Jesus says, hey, that's what I'm doing. I'm raised from the dead. What do I want? All authority in heaven and earth has been given me, so what am I doing? I'm going to make disciples of all nations, so come with me. Come with me. Could it be that the reason that many Christians don't feel close to Jesus is because they're not on mission with Jesus? Have you ever heard anybody say, man, I just wish I could be like, like the Apostle Paul, they'll pick one, pick one of these biblical guys, you know? Man, I just wish I could, you know, hear from God, and I wish you know, God would deliver me out of these, you know, situations with his power, and I wish I could see miracles, and I wish, I'm like, are you doing what Paul did, you know? I mean, are you, are you, are you relentlessly loving the church? Are you relentless like Paul did? Are you relentlessly, you know, Caring for people like Paul did? Are you relentlessly gospeling people like Paul? I mean, like, are, are you doing, like, if you, if you want to experience what Paul experienced, then, 
Are you on mission? Notice, Jesus says, lo, I'm with you always. And then look at that little phrase at the end. You see that? To the end of the age. That's the way verse 20 ends. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What is the end of the age? Let's let Jesus answer that. Why? Because he rose from the dead, right? We always listen to him, right? Matthew 13, he tells a parable about this. And it's about like weeds and wheat. It's like a field and there's, there's wheat in it that's going to be harvested by, by, by the Lord and he's going to take it to heaven. And then the weeds are unbelievers and they're mixed in there. You can't tell one from another a lot of times. And so, so this, is, this is how he describes the end of the age. He says in verse 39, And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. There's that phrase, end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom, out of his kingdom, all causes of sin and lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace in the place that they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus really clearly told us what the end of the age is. The end of the age is when he comes back and he separates believer from unbeliever. That's the end of the age. Now, what does the end of the age have to do with the mission? Well, the end of the age doesn't come until the mission happens. Right? So in Matthew 24, verse 14, it says, And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout all the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Man, I'm excited for that. I'm ashamed that shortly after I got saved, I actually said to a guy one time, I was like, you know, I hope Jesus waits a little longer, you know, so that I can do some things. I just hadn't read my Bible. Isn't that, isn't that something? Like, I, I didn't want him to come back right away because there's, like, things I wanted to do. And now that I've read my Bible, I'm like, today would be great, right? You know, because I realized that everything that I want to do, I'm going to do in the new heavens and the new earth, and it's not going to be broken, right? And it's not going to be a failure, and it's not going to flop, and there's not going to be pain and sin and, and wretchedness and all of it. You know, I, I am going to do all that's in my heart to do it. It's going to be in the new heavens and the new earth. And so... Man, I want him to come. People ask us back in January, man, why are you going to North Africa? Man, everybody hates Christians there. That's the highest recruiter of, of ISIS in the world. You know why we went? I want him to come, right? He said he's going to come when we take the gospel to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And there's people in North Africa down in the southern part that there is no gospel witness. So Lincoln Avenue, let's go get them. That's what we did. That's what we joined with that church in Indiana. We're going, we're going, we're going. This is the mission. Number three, I'm with you always means that no matter what happens, we cannot be separated from Jesus. Man, that ought to stir you up today. No matter what fury the devil unleashes upon his church, the church, no matter the tragedy that befalls the disciple, no matter the persecution or the trial or the danger or the risk, nothing can separate a believer from the resurrected Jesus Christ. Let me read you Romans 8. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8, 34. He says, who is to condemn Christ Jesus, the one who died? More than that, he was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who's in interceding for us. Just, just what Jesus told us. 
Jesus died. He was raised. He's at the right end of God. He's in control, and he's interceding for us. Verse, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as is written for your sake? We're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things that come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord that's exactly what Jesus said I'm with you always in the sense that once you're joined to Jesus there is nothing that can separate you nothing all right so there's really only one way to conclude this thing, right? Jesus is raised from the dead. He appears to his disciples and he, he tells them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I have the power and right to do whatever I want. And I'll tell you exactly what I want. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them everything that I've commanded. And... I will be with you to the end on that. All right, so everybody's going to do something with that, right? Everybody's going to do something. So some people might leave here today, and what they're going to do is just to say, I'm not interested in that. Um, hey, man, I, I was there. I was there. I was there for years. I, I just wasn't interested and so what we're asking God to do right now is just to change your heart. He changed mine. And, and we're asking that the word of God would do its work in you. Maybe this morning you, you've heard something that just clicks. Something you never, never thought about before. Something you never heard before. Something that made sense for the first time. And man, what, what I really want to happen is I want you to turn to Jesus. I want you to listen to the guy that rose from the dead. There's all kinds of ways you can live. I understand that. Yeah, all kinds of people are telling you this, that, the other. This is what's important. This is what's... What I'm telling you is you ought to listen to the one who rose from the dead. And I'm inviting you today to turn from your sins and put your faith in Jesus. And just trust him. Trust, give your life to him. Trust him to save you. Trust him to forgive you. Trust him to give you his righteousness. Trust him to join you to his resurrection life. Trust him to to make you new on the inside and to use you in some really cool ways in the kingdom of God. Others of you, man, you, you might need to be taught to obey. Maybe you're like, you know what, I'm here and, and, and I'm a Christian, but honestly, I don't know what the Bible says. Like, uh, that's true. I, uh, there are people that way, right? There are people that have come to Christ and, but in their heart of hearts, they gotta be honest. I don't know what it says. Hey, you need to be taught all that Jesus commanded. That, that, that's, that's what it means to be a disciple. So I want you to get in a group. I want you to join one of our small groups. I want you to join a Sunday school class. I want you to join one of those DT groups. I want you to jump in on, on whatever. And I, I want you to learn, what did Jesus say? And let's, let's obey this together. That's, that's, that's who we are as a church, really. That's what we do, is, is we help each other obey all that Jesus commanded. Man, there's some of you in here. It, you've been taught what Jesus said, and you are obeying. And you need to start a group. You, you need to show up and you got that crazy uncle, you know, that one that the family's always like, you know, call that dude up and say, hey, 
Let's meet together. I want to have lunch with you. And then let's read through the Gospel of Mark. And I'm not going to preach at you. We're just going to, we'll see what it says and let's obey it. You know, or, or some of you got, you got a group at work and you're friends with them all, but they don't even know you're a Christian. Man, why don't your step be, okay, this, Jesus told me to do this. So, hey, would you guys want to meet me? And I, I don't have the Bible all figured out. I want you to know that right away. But we're, let's just, we're going to open it up. Let's meet once a week and, and we're going to read it and we're going to see what it says. And we're going to talk through it. And then we're going to say, okay, now how do we obey this? How do we obey all that Jesus commanded? And maybe some of them will come to Christ. Maybe some of them are already Christians. Some of you, I think, I think you need to respond by saying, I, I want to I bear witness to Jesus' resurrection. That's all it means to evangelize. Did you know that? It just means to tell people that Jesus is alive. You know? Tell them he died for our sins, he rose from the grave, and this is what he said. It, man, just taking that step. I had somebody in our community come up to me this week and they said, I got a question for you. And so I'm always looking for opportunities. So I just, I just went ahead and answered the question before they asked it. They said, I got a question for you. I was like, yes, Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. He died on the cross for your sins. If you repent and put your faith in him, you can have eternal life. I was like, is that your question? They were like, well, no, but. I was like, oh, okay, what's your question? I just tell people. You know what's really cool thing about? Jesus is going to call some of you to the ends of the earth. Why wouldn't he? That's what he said he wants to do with us. So that means some of us got to go to the ends of the earth. Some of us got to get on planes. Some of you, God's going to call your children there and your grandchildren. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to, you're going to not make them feel bad that they won't be here for Easter, Okay? I don't like it when Christians do that. It's like you got a kid that's doing exactly what Jesus told them to do and mom and dad are griping because they're not going to be for Easter. Get on the plane and go see them for Easter. Did you know those planes go both ways? You know, they don't all just land and pile up there. They actually come back and they pick up people. <laughs> so don't play Call of Duty as much and buy an airline book a ticket, you know, and just go see them. Go to the ends of the earth. But all of us are going to respond in some way, aren't we? Jesus is alive. All authority has been given to him. What's he going to do? So we're going to make disciples of all nations, and we're going to wrap this thing up, and then I'm going to I'm going to remake the world. <laughs> new heavens, new earth. All right, now let's be a part of that. Father, I ask you, God, to give us faith to believe you, to give us faith to trust you, God, to give us faith to make that step today, God. Uh, Lord, I'm trusting that your Holy Spirit's going to be working in each heart. Father, I think for some, it, it's going to be to believe for the very first time. For some, it's going to be to to start learning about what you've said and how they can obey. For some, I think, God, you're going to use them to, to help others obey. And for some, God, you're going you're gonna to send them to the ends of the earth or you're going to use them to fund the vacation Bible school in India. I don't know, God. This is your deal, God. It's totally your deal. And so, Lord, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want with us. Father, help us to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.